Hello, and welcome to The Elastic Brand. In this week's episode, I chat to Laura Cowbag. Laura is a gifted designer, developer, speaker, and writer. She writes and talks regularly about ethical design and development, inclusivity, accessibility, and privacy. She runs the not-for-profit organisation Indie with Aral Balkan, and through Indie, they designed and developed the privacy tool Better. In this episode, we talk about ethical brand design, toxic tech and dark patterns, inclusivity and accessibility, and how we can be more ethical as designers, and loads more. Laura is an intelligent and eloquent speaker on all of these subjects, and I love talking to her and taking a deep dive into the parts of our design industry that aren't always talked about. I really hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Laura. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, So we're going to be talking about some areas um, that you are very passionate about, such as accessibility and ethical design and inclusivity. Um, But first of all, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself, who you are and what you do. So I'm Laura Kalbag and I'm a designer, come developer, come other stuff. <laughs> and uh, I have a small not-for-profit with my partner, Aral, uh, called Indie. And we work for social justice in the digital age. And I've written a book called Accessibility for Everyone. And I also, we Indie, we make a tracker blocker that blocks things that track mm-hmm. you on the web called Better Blocker. Mm-hmm. So that's some of the stuff that I do. Yeah, you are multifaceted, aren't you? <laughs> well, I, I like doing lots of different stuff. <laughs> How much are you... Do you still do a lot of design work or do you mainly focus on other areas now? I do a lot of design work and I kind of see everything that I do as being designed because I kind of like to see design yeah. as solving problems. And so even when I'm writing code or uh, even answering support emails I still always have that design way of thinking about stuff in the back of my head like thinking about oh how can I redesign my process or how can I re-explain this in a way that will be easier for people to understand it Uh, and then sometimes I am just designing logos and icons and stuff like that do you do um do you do much branding work um I mean I kind of think that branding work is all of those things you've just mentioned so you know how things work um that all represents a brand and whether it's your brand or a client's brand or whatever I think all of those things are part of a brand but do you do much of the kind of you know traditional brand design um kind of logo mark you know all that kind of thing um that we can kind of use the umbrella term brand design for yeah absolutely like I same as you I would take everything that I put out in the world is Mm. either really under the brand of what I do Mm -hmm. or under the brand of indie and I do all of the uh, the stuff around like collaborate on the the concepts mm-hmm. for a lot of the brand design but I do much of the execution so doing things like uh, designing the websites designing the typography and the logos and continually working on our website to try to make it better and easier to understand and have a clear kind of 
coherence like through everything that we do so it feels like it's all indie stuff and all of that's branding yes absolutely i always mention Aral whenever i'm talking about um functionality of of products um in relation to a client's brand or a company's brand um he did a talk years and years ago i think it was probably at the future of web design way back in the day and it was about making a user feel empowered um, and I think he used as an example like um, it was possibly a, a kind of European maybe German kind of ticket machine that was oh yeah like, have you have you have you heard this one um, it's kind of like crazy it just didn't make any sense like it was the most complicated thing and then he kind of went on to discuss you know how you can make people feel like superheroes by making that you know that kind of machine work brilliantly and I think that's absolutely the same with uh, a good website or app or whatever um, piece of software yeah it's about making a person feel empowered and I think all of that's part of a brand as well but I think that gets overlooked oh yeah like trying to make things as simple as possible understanding that the people that are using what you're designing are not doing so with the same dedication and time that you are and so people will be using things in a stress Mm. in a hurry trying to get a train or something like that and so having things like ticketing machines that lead you simply through the process not demanding any more of you than is absolutely necessary and making it very clear what the expected input is and what the outcome will be from that is incredibly important it can and it's funny you said that yeah i saw um the first time i think i ever saw i'll speak was that very i think talk, that was i think uh, that was the first one I, I heard him speak at as well we were probably at the same one yeah, yeah. and it was a brilliant brilliant talk and I, it stayed with me until this day because it just made complete sense to me and and it's true it can actually tra- change your day can't it I mean you know starting off with a good uh experience at something like buying a train ticket can set you up for the rest of the day and I think I, I um was with my stepfather the other day and we, we were just doing so he's a farmer and he sort of does all of his accounts and everything himself um and he'd been sent um, an update for the software he uses for his accounts and it was all just in the most tech jargon ever and he is not a technically minded person and it really gave me an insight and um, to me it seemed quite straightforward but sitting with him trying to and I didn't want to like you know go oh do this do that do this you know I wanted to kind of let him kind of you know work it out for himself because I think he was like I can do this leave it with me but watching him kind of work out what what it meant was so irritating I was like god these people really don't write these things for the people who are using them you know and immediately it made him feel you know stupid yeah and you don't want to make someone associate feeling stupid with the thing that you've built and chances are it'll mean that they'll go on and do it with someone else instead yeah but I think that's really common. I think there's so many things that, you know, because we're tech people, we can use relatively easy, you know, websites, whatever that we use every day. But I think, you know, then I see my mum or someone like my stepdad using it and I'm like, wow, actually, this is not a great interface at all. They're having a really bad kind of experience with this. So, yeah, I think yeah, I, things... even if you think to something as simple as those three lines, that hamburger yeah. icon that we tend to use for menus, and people have just started using it everywhere and they they'll assume that 
everyone must know what it means. Mm. Like, oh, Facebook uses it, so everyone must know what it means. But actually, people don't. It's If you haven't seen it before, you haven't seen how that works, you haven't seen that labelled as a menu before, you're not going to know that that's what that is for. You might just think it's a bit of decor- decoration in the corner of the screen. And you've lost access to all of the navigation on the site. Yeah, absolutely. It can be mind-boggling. And that's a relatively straightforward one. There are others that are even more complicated than that. And I think something I'm really finding hard at the moment as well is even personally is like going onto a website and having 10 million different things come up at once. Like press this before you do this. Press this before you can do this. Yes, I accept this. Yes, you know, no, I don't want to sign up to this. Oh God, it's like, <laughs> oh, so stressful. So much stuff without, and and they're just, I mean, I feel like companies like that are just using you. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not thinking, how is this affecting the person at the other end? Well, and often that is exactly the case. Like with sites like that, things where you're being asked to consent to this and that and the other, Often those interfaces are actually designed to make you go, oh, I can't be bothered to read this. I'll just tick accept. Mm. I'll press anything to make it go so away. So stressful. Yeah, and what, and what you end up consenting to when things are designed mm. in that way is often giving up your personal information and stuff like that, allowing it to be sold on or shared to third parties. And this is a really big problem on the mm. web today is this thing that we call surveillance capitalism. Yeah is this idea that a lot of technology is watching everything that we do in order to profile us. And so a lot of design today is deliberately designed as dark patterns, Mm -hmm. those things that encourage us to do things that go against what actually benefits us. So do you feel that as brand designers, designers, it's our responsibility when a company comes to us and they are wanting to you know, incorporate these kind of patterns into uh, a new site or, uh, you know, a new piece of software or whatever, is it, it's our responsibility to try and educate them around that? Or is it our, you know, is it better if we don't work with people like that? Yeah, I'd say as a, like, broadly, it's better if you don't work with people like that, because often they don't need educating yeah. because they know what they're, they're trying not to do already. They're not interested in and, what you have to say. And your attempts to kind of uh, make them do things the right way, will it will just not mm. get you further work with them. And often one of the biggest problems I can see that brand designers will be facing is that companies will come to them and they'll seem like innocuous mm. companies and they'll want you to do stuff to make things look good and be fun to interact with and be sort of enticing some of the examples that we like to use are things like the privacy dinosaur on facebook Mm -hmm. like it's a gorgeous illustration it's a really cute little dinosaur but the whole point of that dinosaur is to make you feel more comfortable Mm. with facebook um and convince you that facebook cares about your privacy when what you're doing is giving up much of your privacy when you share things with Facebook Mm. and the same goes for things like the Google Doodle on that you get on the Google search homepage people think oh the Google Doodle's great it reflects our culture Mm. it um it does things like represents diversity and things like that and what they don't realize is they're being influenced to see Google as this wonderful benevolent company when underlying that 
they are using all of this technology to exploit our personal data. And so what we have to be really careful of is that as designers, we're not accidentally facilitating people doing harmful things and making companies look much better than they really are. Mm. It's a deeply cynical mode of operation by these corporations, isn't it? This kind of behaviour. It is. And a lot of the time they just see it as that's normal Mm. that's they need to make money because they need to make money for their investors and that's the way that they can do it it's the easiest way they can do it so they don't necessarily understand that there is something uh, inherently wrong Mm. because they don't think of themselves in the position of the people that are using those products and of course there are companies that know exactly what they're Mm. doing wrong and people working at them that do know exactly what they're doing wrong and they just choose to carry on they don't care no Mm. so how as designers do we root out um behaviors that aren't um you know going to be beneficial for the end user how do we kind of dig deep into um because you know it's not we're not all completely au fait with this i think obviously we all need to educate ourselves more but are there things we can do that are relatively straightforward to kind of check behaviors and check companies um around this kind of behavior yeah absolutely i think of course you're not expected to be au fait with everything that everyone is doing and in fact a lot of the time companies will be trying to hide Mm. the kinds of things that are negative because they don't want bad PR they don't want to get a bad reputation and so one of the easiest ways to look at it is find out how a company makes money because that is generally the like will show you what their intentions Mm -hmm. are um what what's the thing in the product that makes money for them yeah and if it's something like maybe it's a subscription service or something like Mm. that well, maybe they're more likely to be better. I, it's not a guarantee, but perhaps. Mm, yeah. <laughs> if they if they do make, if it's a free product and no one pays for it at any point, or there's a lot of free products and they're a big organisation, mm. they've got to make money somehow. Yeah. And most of them will be making money by using people's data. It's a horrible thing, mm. but it is a sad fact that that's how the majority of mainstream technology makes its money. Mm. I guess it's worth looking at their funding and where that's come from as well, um, with startups and the like. Yeah, and you can look that stuff up. Mm. Uh, there's the Crunchbase um, website. They, If you go on there, you can usually put in the name of any startup and it will tell you how much money they've raised and who they've raised it from. That's brilliant. Um, or who they've been bought by and or who bought them. And so you can use that to kind of go, well, hang on a minute. They're making all of this money, but they don't seem to be... Like, they've been given all this money. They don't seem to be making any money from their products somehow. So what is the return for them? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a brilliant resource to check out. And uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, So how, so with regards to, um, so those are quite straightforward, well, not straightforward things. Those are things that we need to be looking at as well. Um, One thing I'm always quite concerned about is sort of unconscious bias when you're, you're designing. And I try and check myself all the time that I'm not 
bringing that into work that I do that I'm constantly uh double checking myself you know double checking the company's messages and stuff but I think that's quite hard is that something that you do regular you know you do all the time you stay on top of things you're making sure that you're checking how you're you know working and and yeah yeah. absolutely like I'm I'm the same as you that I worry about it to the point of being very insecure Mm. about it a lot of the time and it does make me question how I'm communicating I think that's a healthy amount of worry Mm. to have I kind of wish more people in like the tech and design industries would worry about (laughs) these things more yeah um rather than getting offended when you tell them that they might be biased (laughs) which Mm. happens a lot um I think one of the things you can do is make sure that you are staying up to date on what are the issues that we have in society broadly, uh, making sure that you're listening to diverse voices. Mm-hmm. So the kinds of media that you're consuming, the kinds of people you're following on social networks, the kinds of books you're reading, uh, who are they by? Is it by a diverse range of people? And you can learn from listening to people and listening to their ranges of experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a person who is empathetic and a person who cares about other people you are likely to absorb a lot of stuff just subconsciously just by opening up your world Uh, but I think that um, you're also more likely to see like what language do people use um, for different things like avoiding things like being racist Mm. or homophobic and stuff like that and then you can accommodate that and put that into your own work too. And I think one of the things I've I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and I think one of the things we can do is just every time we do anything, think how, who could I possibly be excluding Mm. with this? So am I doing something that might be ableist? Like, does it refer to, I don't know, talk a lot about people, um, walking places like is that gonna exclude people Mm. that don't walk or use wheelchairs or things like that is there a way of changing our language so that we are more inclusive in that way like are we using cultural references i think this is a really big issue is cultural references are often things that are have kind of racist Mm. or homophobic or transphobic microaggressions in them uh I don't know, jokes about dropping the soap in the showers yeah, or yeah, absolutely. Um, stuff like that is like, it's something, if it's especially it's something that's been around since you were a child, you don't necessarily think about yeah. what it means. Yeah. And so it is just going through those things and going, oh, am I actually like saying something really awful here by accident? And maybe like just sticking search terms into like with the text you're going to use, sticking it into a search engine and putting something like bias or uh, racist or things like that and see if see what comes up. Mm. What have people said about using that particular phrase or that particular term? Um, what do they propose is a good alternative? Um, and I do that quite a lot because it's good to be learning these things. Um, in fact, I've probably, I've probably got a good website as well I can recommend that's like a style guide on a lot of this different types of language oh brilliant because it changes as well yeah and so I will have to find that for you definitely in terms can um from you know a few years ago now not really 
you know, terms that we should be using. And back then they were thought to be quite progressive and forward thinking. And now they aren't, you know, they are, there are, have been new developments in how we describe things. And I, to be honest, I have to check myself all the time, even assuming, making assumptions about people. So assuming somebody's a man or assuming somebody's a woman or, you know, just saying he or she and making sure that I don't make those assumptions about even really basic things like that. I check yeah. myself about all the time. And I think it's one of the nice things about being connected to each other via the internet is that we've been able to have a better understanding of the experience of people who aren't the same as us. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons why things are moving very quickly because we're all having to learn very quickly as we become connected to more and more people. And so it is really good to be able to check yourself like that. And also you have... you. You need to be forgiving of yourself. I think if we do do or say the wrong thing, um, not making a fuss about it if we do. If someone corrects us being graceful and yeah. like accepting that correction and taking it on board and not being defensive, being okay with being wrong, yeah. knowing that you can do better the next time. And being saying sorry for assumptions that are made and explain, you know, saying like, I, I'm sorry, I made that assumption, I'm... I'm you know, I won't, I'll make sure I don't do that again because I think people appreciate that if you're completely straightforward. Yeah, as and long open as you don't it. make a big hoo ha about it. Yeah. Because <laughs> some people do and turn, feel it, resentful. turn it into you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it kind of makes it very performative. I found the link. So it's consciousstyleguide.com. And that's a really great resource. I use that a lot when I was writing my book um, to help me understand how to write about things like disability and impairments. And it's also worth bearing in mind that with things like um, people with disabilities or disabled people, people prefer different terms mm. a lot of the time. And so you have to be very conscious of what you're using and be willing to explain why you're using a term or and apologize if mm. someone feels slighted by it. Yeah, absolutely. Um just referring to disabilities and visual impairment and impairments there um one thing that i um have always been aware of when i was doing sort of more you know straightforward web design work was always designing for people with visual impairments and um always doing a kind of lot of background work into um making sure that um you know, it, it was a, a nice experience for people who use screen readers to kind of navigate through a site and stuff. Um, and also making sure that are using, you know, colours for people with, with visual impairments that work and, and stuff. Now, I really see a, quite a lot of brands still designed where this just has not even been taken into account remotely. And I've had, and if I have clients sometimes I'll have a client say I want to use this particular color and I'll be like well we can but you know that will not be great for people with um you know visual impairments um to be able to see and they're like oh I don't care you know I've had the other yeah. one be like mm, I don't really care and it's like well oh <laughs> you've got oh, to yeah. yeah the number of times when I was freelancing that I ended up adjusting people's brand colors mm. slightly particularly when I was doing something like translating from a logo into body text or headings and things like mm. that just 
darkening the colors a little bit so that the contrast between the text color and the background was higher yeah uh, because if someone for example if they were colorblind mm. so they couldn't they found it harder to distinguish that color from other colors it would give them a better chance of seeing it for people who do have low vision yeah um, it would give the higher contrast gives them a better chance of seeing it as well and yeah so sometimes I did kind of approach that in a slightly underhand mm. way and like if a client would be like I don't know why the text is looking so dark if I really think they're not going to respond well to me saying I'm making it more inclusive mm. then sometimes I'd be like oh that must yep. just be your screen yeah yeah definitely it's really <laughs> but tough I, it, though isn't it because yeah I think like you I now say um I kind of say <laughs> it sounds mildly threatening what I say now but I'm like well you're not giving everybody you know this is not accessible for everybody you're not giving everybody the same experience and so there you know there could be um kind of uh what's the word I'm looking for um a backlash yeah basically yeah yeah there yeah could be you're a gonna to you're if you don't do it like you see uh Beyonce's website someone's been suing Beyonce exactly. for not having an accessible website so you can get a really bad reputation that's exactly for ignoring people that's the kind of thing that I say which yeah. is mildly threatening but like you're breaking accessibility laws <laughs> or rules and you know you could potentially be sued by someone and I think the minute people are like oh money okay well I yeah. might take a little bit more notice then but well, also if you point out to them that they're more likely to experience issues like this as they age I mean not to mention yeah. if they suddenly get a particular illness that will have an impact yeah. on them in this way um or be involved in an accident they they could as as we age we all have issues with our eyesight mm. we have issues with our motor skills we find it harder to um, like move our limbs and things like that and we find it harder to hear and our memories don't improve as we age either and so all of the things that we would do to make something more accessible for people who would have like, more severe impairments than we do um, will benefit as we get older anyway. Exactly and that's all part of your brand. Do you want your brand to be I ignore this section of society um no nobody no no one should want that for their brand I know some people don't care but well it gives you a competitive advantage as well because if all the other brands don't care about this stuff and you're the one that does well all of these people who can't use those websites will use yours and so it actually is very savvy in that sense I think that's the way of selling it to clients as well if they're not particularly bothered about the other reasons I think you know saying this is kind of setting you apart from the competition yeah is a great way I, of I, I I fall between two areas sometimes I feel like nice and I am kindly like oh yeah and I can use these different things to sell it to them and then the rest of the time I'm like oh they're horrible people <laughs> like why would I work with them if they don't care about this stuff yeah sometimes it's just not that easy though is it because you're into a project before a tiny thing will come up you know it could be a small thing and you're like oh I'm just I'm not like this has actually happened to me like I'm not I'm not going to use that I can't use that yellow because you know and this might be for say a charity or something that I've worked I can't use that yellow because um you know visually impaired people or people with color blindness will not be able to see that yeah. and they're like mm, I don't care <laughs> you're like oh okay um <laughs> I'm, I can't, I can't yeah. drop out of this project now but 
you know, that's I think tough. you should get everyone to read uh, Design for Real Life by Sarah Wachtebecher and Eric Mayer. Because yeah. that book is so good at conveying how it's these are things that really affect people's lives. Like if people can't use the products that we're creating, it it is often the difference between them having a good day or a bad day. It could be the difference between them not being able to get something like a vital service that they need or something like that. Um, so these could be very important life-threatening mm. things if we don't pay attention to them. Absolutely. It's not just like it's going to ruin your browsing experience, is it? It, it could be affecting swathes of society yeah. uh, and I mean, as we see with technology it's become so integrated into our lives it does affect us it's mm. our infrastructure now and it really has an impact our access to technology has an impact on how we can do things it's like how we get Absolutely. like make appointments with our doctors mm. now it's how we can communicate with our family it's how all of these things mm. and so we have to treat it seriously and consider the impacts very carefully. Definitely. Um, so I so I think we obviously need to take into account um, all the kind of diverse um, groups of people that will be using our sites, but we, I think we also need to uh, attract more diversity into this industry still. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's very <laughs> homogenous still, isn't it? Um, and... I think the only way we can start meeting the needs of different sections of society is to attract those sections of society into the the uh, industry in the first place. Yeah. Because I think, you know, saying, well, I want this, say, for example, I want this particular product to appeal to, you know, women from a particular ethnic background as well as white women and blah, blah, blah. You can't just go to one... <laughs> person from that ethnicity and say what do you want from this because <laughs> yeah. it's never fair to make someone a poster girl for one you know yeah particular ethnicity one so. person isn't yeah, necessarily exactly. representative of a group in that manner in the same way that none of us are no exactly. representative of any of the groups that we belong to and yeah I think we need to make it a more friendly industry and I think part of that is making sure that we are trying to build things in an inclusive way and we're trying to build things that have a socially good impact um, because I think that will attract more people I, it's not surprising that a lot of technology is quite exploitative and if you're a person who's particularly susceptible to being exploited you're going to be more aware of that mm. because you're you're your whole life you've spent looking out for red flags on things like that. Um, you're not necessarily going to want to work in an environment that's full of a bunch of white tech bros. <laughs> and so we have to think about how we make um, the environments more inclusive, but part of that begins with the kinds of things we're actually building and working on in the first place. And, yeah, and then making sure we're not making, like, it's these arguments like there's a pipeline problem, like there's not enough diversity in the education system coming into our industries and things like that. It's, well, recruit people from other industries. Mm. <laughs> it's like um, recruit people who, who do other jobs because really a lot of the skills we have are learnable. Mm. It's Absolutely. The, it's the approaches that we have and the perspectives we have that make us unique. Yeah. And... So that's where the real value lies. And we will have much better design if we manage to make, we have it 
with from people with much more diverse backgrounds mm. and i think like for you know this industry is particularly easy industry to get into or sorry no not in that respect but as in you don't need to go to university to get into tech to get into design um you you, you know you don't it's not like becoming a doctor where you need no. specific it is a it's they're easily learned skills is what I'm trying to say so yeah why we need to be doing things differently if we're not attracting the right people because there's not that you know barrier of entry that might be you know you have to go to a specific university you have a specific income we need to be like what what are the reasons that we're not getting <laughs> yeah those well, I, I, I mean I think part of the problem is that a lot of people who do work in the industry think they are genuinely special mm. and they they think oh the things I do are so difficult mm. and no one else could possibly do this because I am wonderful mm. and they don't necessarily realize that the reason that they've got to the positions that they're in today is because they've had education they've had uh, mm. financial security um and they've not had people discriminating against them at every possible point mm. and I, that is one of the nice things about tech is that you can be self-taught. Um, I, I had design education and while I enjoyed my time there, it wasn't necessary. I spent mm. a huge amount of money. I have a massive student loan still yeah. that gave me very little value for what I do today. And yeah, it's great. Anyone can do it. And mm. it's so that accessibility is such a nice thing, particularly about the web and the internet is that we can all use we can all do this stuff we can do it on such simple devices now as well like you could realistically there's the potential to design and build websites just using a mobile device mm. and not an expensive one so yeah we should be making it trying to make that easier and trying to make it so that we do have the right environments for people that they want to come and work with us mm, absolutely I think there's still a lot of work to be needs to be done in that area of, of the industry. Um, so as small company, well, as say freelance designers, uh, freelance brand designers, um, or designers working for small companies, or even designers working for large companies, how can we be more ethical? How can we be more inclusive in our own companies and our own ways of working? Is it just a case of kind of reading, deep diving into other cultures, um, checking yourself all the time? You know, is that the key? Yeah, I think they're all really good things. I think having a an understanding of what the products we're working on do, like how mm, they work. Yeah. You don't have to be able to write the code. Just having an understanding of like if there's data involved where's that yeah. data going who has a copy of it is it kept on a device because actually if your data is kept on your device that's pretty safe because only you have a copy of it or is it going somewhere off up into the cloud up onto somebody's server where they can make copies of it and use it um just having ideas about things like that about the flows of data how organizations make mm. their money um i spend a lot of time reading privacy policies which is really boring <laughs> But you can get quite a good idea of people who are trying to be shifty mm. um, because they're kind of using like sort of snaky terms mm -hmm. to get around stuff. It's actually a really good insight into 
what a company intends yeah. to do. And actually, if they have a very clearly written privacy policy and you understand what they're doing, uh, then you can have a much better idea. And that transparency often means that they're not trying to hide something. Well, if they're not doing anything wrong, it doesn't need to be complex, does it? Exactly. Yeah, exactly that. It just <laughs> and, needs to be straightforward. Yeah, and I think the same goes for a lot of things. And I think it's, yeah, sometimes we have to be more discerning about what we work on and making sure that we are trying to collaborate with the best possible people who are trying to have a positive impact on the world. Uh, I think it would be really good if a lot of these big bad companies, if the people that were working there said, actually, no, I'm going to go work for somebody else because you're pretty toxic. I mean, they can't survive forever without the designers and developers Mm. that they want. And so we actually do have quite a lot of power in that sense. I think we also need to be mindful of the software that we use to do our jobs as well and making sure that we're... um, you know we we recycle we we do those kind of very obvious things um trying to help the planet and help the world but i think we also we don't often check the backgrounds behind a lot of the companies that we deal with and yeah. uh, i think that's maybe particularly when do. it comes to things like marketing um mm. and advertising like a lot of those systems are built on, upon profiling people and using their personal data in mm. order to manipulate them into buying stuff like if you're really drilling down into like things about a person in order to sell to them better like how much do you know that they want to buy that thing or Mm. how much are you working to appeal to parts of their personality in order to convince them to buy something like how ethical is that um and so yeah being mindful when we're doing these kinds of things that is it necessary? Like, it probably isn't. I, I know that particularly in marketing, things like Facebook and search engine optimization for Google is v- very much a huge part of people's work. Mm. And so maybe it is worth looking into what are effective alternatives to these kinds of things. Like, could you be the person who starts like that movement mm. away to something, a different way of doing it? Um, or at least minimising the damage you can do and with um the more people who do that the better it's going to become the, the you know, more um great greater the kind of alternatives will become um, yeah and we have to bear in mind that it's not going to be easy it's not going to be comfortable it's never easy to be the person who's pushing against the status quo it's not a comfortable thing to do but i think if we're already in these positions where we're getting work and we have an impact in the work that we do, like we're doing like stuff and people want to hire us, then we have the power to do that and we have more power than those people who can't get jobs and those people who are maybe unemployed and are sitting there being like manipulated by these forms mm. of technology. Like if we're the ones that have that privilege, we should be trying to use it to do something better. Absolutely. And it, as you say, it can be really uncomfortable to kind of look at those things and be constantly checking that you're on the right path but you've got to do it yeah yeah it's the only way that because i if we look at the world around us now things aren't going well and i think a lot of that is because too many of us have just been sitting back and going well my life is hard anyway and so what am i what can i do about it um i'm just gonna try to survive Mm. 
But really, things will just keep getting worse if we all just keep kind of walking around with our hands over our ears going, la, 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 la. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I can't do anything about it. And it is, it's re- it is rewarding, though. It is rewarding Absolutely. when you find that you've made something more inclusive, that you've got someone that says that what you've done has an impact on them mm. that perhaps another organisation hasn't before. I mean, that's really rewarding, like the idea that you could be putting that good out into the world Mm. is rewarding in itself yeah definitely and I think as part of the tech industry we are in a really privileged position to be able to make proper change um yeah I think I think we can we can definitely make change as long as we keep on the right track yeah we have to like kind of embrace some of that awkwardness Mm. as well because if you think about it if you're managing to make a situation really awkward you have power. Mm, definitely. And that's the way I keep trying to think about it whenever I have an argument with someone yeah. about these things. I was going to say. Actually, mm, I have power. <laughs> if you're pissing people off, it tends to mean that you're saying something that's worth being said, really, isn't it? Because... Uh, yeah. Earlier this week, for the first time, uh, I got a name alert because someone was calling me a social justice warrior oh, on Reddit. Wow. And I was thinking... See hey you know what if if people are saying that I must be doing something right (laughs) oh my god yeah exactly exactly I got my first troll not long ago and I was so pleased I thought oh well I've I've made it (laughs) people are trolling me so that's good yeah I it's it's (laughs) I think it can be very depleting for the people who have to like face like as a regular onslaught I mean even even for those of us who don't get it so much, yeah. like you can, you realise how adversely affected you can oh, be by God. one horrible person saying one horrible thing. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's even more the reason to try to make technology that prevents those things and tries to yeah. encourage uh, better relationships between people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to keep sticking on the right path and pushing your path forward because it is easy to go I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put myself out there anymore it's scary and people are horrible and stuff but you know you need to keep pushing forward you need to keep reaching out because that's how things change and and uh yeah changes are made and people's mindsets might get a tiny bit moved to slightly yeah. better pace I, we can't expect anyone else to do it for us so no. we've got to do it for ourselves too yeah definitely so v- very quickly before we wrap up um with regards to actual practical um kind of accessible design would you say we need to when we're designing brands we need to put into place all the principles behind accessible web design basically yeah i think you should do and I think it's actually quite an enjoyable challenge Mm. I think it often gives us because a lot of us are more creative when we have constraints absolutely yeah and because like starting with a blank canvas can be really hard yeah and so when you're thinking about things like well how do I make this easy to see how do I make this easy to hear how do I make this easy to understand how do I make this easy to operate and when you're trying to work within those constraints you can come up with something very creative that is also inclusive yeah absolutely view it as a challenge rather than a kind of way of stopping you being creative Um, yeah and it it can result in just really brilliant work that will stand the test of time too yeah definitely and all of those principles that we've been learning over the years with accessible web design they all have to be 
completely taken through to print design everything they don't just end at the screen yeah well I, most of it is the is around principles that apply to everything mm. it's principles that apply to how you write stuff how yeah. you communicate stuff and how you communicate things visually as well mm. and so that's directly affects print too mm, absolutely well it's been very very interesting to chat to you and um it's a really interesting topic and um I think if people go to your site or they follow you on Twitter, they can learn more about what you do and um, what you and Aral are kind of creating and putting out into the world. Yeah, um, hear more of me having a go at people as well. It's great. <laughs> Only the worst people, not nice people. I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. Keep going. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. Just to end, um, do you have any recommendations? They can be tech or non-tech. Or, I know. have two recommendations that are related to tech but accessible to people whether they're in technology or not okay and they're two books and one is called technically wrong and it's by sarah wachtabetcher who i mentioned earlier who yeah. also wrote the book design for real life and the like the subheading of it is sexist apps biased algorithms and other threats of toxic tech and i'd say it's a really great way of getting an understanding of how a lot of technology is exploitative and it's written in a way that is accessible to everyone. Like, you don't have to be a nerd. You don't have to be yeah. able to write code. It's a it's a really great book. And the other one that I've only just started reading, I just got through the first chapter, but it's so good so far, and it only came out in the UK yesterday, mm-hmm. is The Age of Surveillance Capitalism oh, wow. by Shoshana Zuboff. And Shoshana Zuboff is the woman who coined the term surveillance capitalism. So she really knows a lot about this stuff and her book is very hard hitting Mm. and also not a difficult read. It's very well written. Yeah. So I would totally recommend that. I would imagine it's got some terrifying uh, things in it, hasn't it? Oh yeah, it's not like bedtime reading, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Just go move to the Outer Hebrides and disconnect from the internet after you've read that. Oh, well, I think there are those of us who are trying to work on alternatives to this mainstream technology. And so hopefully we'll be able to do something about it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Laura. And I'll put every um, everything that you've uh, referenced. I'll put those in the show notes as well. So thank you. Been lovely to chat with you. Thank you for having me. It's been a real joy. that's all for this week i really hope you enjoyed the show and a huge thank you to laura for being such a great guest i'd love to hear from you if you have any comments or questions about the topics we discussed this week you can tweet me at liz underscore e or at elastic brand on twitter or email me via the contact form on the website theelasticbrand.com you can also find links to everything we discussed on the show on the website And you can subscribe, rate and review on iTunes. You can also find us on Spotify and pretty much anywhere else that you get your podcasts. So, see you next week. Bye!